Amy, on this podcast, we try to always offer useful takeaways. And if you learn nothing else from us, learn this useful parenting lesson by Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 are the ultimate parent hack, the best diaper to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. Instead of ordinary diaper tabs, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your wild child. Pampers Cruisers 360 makes it so easy to change your baby. Who probably doesn't stop moving just because they need a diaper changed? Just slide on to apply and away they go. And fear not, parents. Pampers Cruisers 360 offers an up to 100% leak-free fit, and they just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we say more? For Trusted Protection Trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupons, savings, and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Hello and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret... And this is Amy, and today we're talking to Penelope Leach. She's a research psychologist and one of the world's leading experts in child development and upbringing. Penelope Leach has helped millions of parents raise their children for more than 40 years with her thoroughly researched, practical, baby-led advice, her wise, empathic, and sensible perspective, and her comforting voice. She also has two children and six grandchildren of her own. She's the author of many best-selling parenting books. And the book we're going to talk about today is Your Baby and Child, Dr. Leach's classic child care guide, which is out now in a revised and updated edition. Welcome, Penelope. Lovely to be here. Thank you for asking me. So Your Baby and Child, I know my mom had this around the house. It was first published in 1978. So it raised many of us listening had parents who read Your Baby and Child. Yes, we are 70s (laughs) babies ourselves. So this was... Important. If you think, if our listeners think we turned out well, this is part of the reason. (laughs) Well, yes, but from my point of view, 50 years is a heck of a long time for a book. Mm -hmm. And it reached a point where it either had to die or be rewritten. I couldn't leave it out there knowing that it was out of date. I mean, that just didn't feel right. Of course, there have been lots of minor reprints, but the book hadn't changed along with society. So let's start there. What are some of the things in the book that have changed in those 50 years? Oh, wow. When I wrote it, Daddy went to work to earn the money, and Mommy stayed at home and looked after the baby. Not always, of course. I mean, that's a generalization, but there's been a huge change in the fact that now almost all adults go to work and as many women are in the workplace as men and we unfortunately don't have as many men as women in the home place. So there's a whole area of difficulty, what I think your title refers to as hell. (laughs) Yes, Fresh hells, new each day. Everything always new, always new. And you also make the point that there were grandmothers around back then. Like I definitely, my grandmother lived with us and she helped raise us. She lived upstairs. My grandmother lived with us as well. 
Is that right? And so our grandmothers were both, of course, younger because our mothers had us when they were younger, but our mothers stayed home with us and our grandmothers also didn't work outside the home. And so we're also available for childcare. How have you seen that change, how people are raising their babies these days? Huge change and interesting difference between the UK and the USA in that a lot of grandparents in the UK are wanted to do more childcare than they actually want to do. Whereas in the USA, it seems to be the other way around. You know, I hear quite a lot of families, how can I put this politely, who don't want grandmothers too much involved. (laughs) And of course, things have changed in the sense that grandmothers used to retire at 60. And now who can afford to retire in either of our countries? So that's a big change. A lot of parents do, of course, rely on grandparents for childcare. But how many families still live close by? I mean, I know of grandparents who travel two or three hours to help out if one of the children is sick and parents need to go to work. But that's very different from being next door or... Yes, or even in the upstairs bedroom in our case, right? I was very lucky. I lived close by, but not with. And I think probably that's the ideal. Well, even in my mother's generation, there was a multi-generation. They lived in a two-family house, multi-generational family as they were moving from Ireland and coming to the United States, that the family was just naturally extended, that there were always people around. And I think that's really interesting how much that has changed, whereas no one I know, very few people I know, they might have a grandma around, but they don't live in a multi-generational house where there are different levels of family. But another thing that's changed that's part of this is that when I wrote the book, if you were a mother, and it would almost always be a mother at home with young children, and you went out with your stroller to the park or whatever, and there would be lots of others. Now, you may be the only one in your street who's not at work, and the whole business has become much, much lonelier. And I think it is very lonely. And looking after very small children is dreadfully boring a lot of the time. (laughs) You know, I obviously I'm interested in babies and small children. It's what I've done all my adult life. But doesn't mean that I can't remember what it was like some of the time or quite a lot of the time. And boring is part of that. Well, we say often, I think that the human connection is very lost. In some ways, I think I feel more connected to the idea that motherhood is difficult and boring and lonely through the online world than I think my mom did. I don't think that she was able to have as many conversations as I am able to have about how much parenting stinks sometimes. I'm able to process that online and in my communities more easily than my mom was, but I think my actual community is much smaller. So it's been kind of a give and take. Right. One of the things that, I mean, when I started thinking about rewriting this book, because it is a a rewrite, it's a very different book. And people said, does anybody want a book these days? You know, all the parenting advice is online. I've found that in a way, there's too much advice 
coming from too many different directions, and that quite a lot of parents and their relatives and friends find it muddling and bewildering. And if you go to a different source of advice every time you hit a problem, which after all, with a new baby, maybe every Monday, uh, let alone... Maybe every hour, yes. Yeah, exactly. Then you do get great confusion. So the idea is, for some people at least, a book is a solid... You know, if you can find a book that is a voice that resonates with you, that feels right, that you can really hear, then if it's good on breastfeeding, chances are you'll like it on daycare and, you know, discipline and the splat of food on the floor. (laughs) That's great. That's an interesting point. It seems to me that your advice has always been very sort of baby-led but intuitive, right? That when if your baby's crying every day at, at 4 or 5 p.m., there are things you can do about that, but you can follow your baby's lead. And it isn't that you have to consult 18 message boards and read every article. You can read one book and you can let your baby lead you. Do you think that parents these days with this sort of onslaught of advice and social media, do you think that they have a harder time sort of listening to their instincts and tuning out the noise? I think parents do. I mean, I hate these generalizations, but everybody must accept that, of course, what I'm saying isn't true for everybody all the time. But on the whole, I think parents think more about their babies and very young children than they did two generations ago. They talk to each other about them. They talk to their parents and friends about them. And they talk to their children a lot more, I think, even though People will tell you that half the time they've got earbuds in and they're not paying any attention. On the other hand, I think there's a real time conflict for a lot of families. And one of the interesting things is how it's altered the kind of standard routines of baby care. I mean, it used to be that babies and toddlers' bedtime was 6 p.m., lights out at 7 It's linked to that nowadays. You'd never see your children at all till the weekend because they're in daycare till that time. And, you know, very small children are up and around until nine uh, in order to see something of their parents. So there's a kind of funny mixture of perhaps increased concern and maybe increased knowledge. I find parents know a lot more about the development of their children, certainly than I did when I started out. But at the same time, life is very divided between work and home, and home doesn't get an awful lot of time in most households. I want to talk a little bit more about this expansion of knowledge. We're talking to Dr. Penelope Leach, and we will be right back. Margaret, exciting news. I am about to have a new baby nephew and believe it or not, this will be my 13th nephew. Amy, you're ready to give up your amateur status. You're a pro <laughs> aunt at this yes. point. Our family has seen a lot of babies. And as soon as they start standing or walking, 
I send them all a whole lot of Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 don't have ordinary diaper tabs. Instead, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your newly mobile little one. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof. Crucial once your baby is quite literally up and at them. And that gap-free fit helps prevent your baby from taking off their diaper, a habit you do not want them to get into. You can say that again. And Pampers Cruisers 360 just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we even elaborate on the need for that, friends? For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. So before the break, we were talking about expansion of knowledge. And one of the things you cover in the book is the expansion of what we know, actually know about babies, sensory integration. Are there things that you really changed your mind about? Or are there things that this sense and this intuitive approach that wasn't very changed by more specific information about how babies' minds work? I think it's not that my mind has been changed. It is that I've been educated along with everybody else. And I think it's enormously important for people's enjoyment of being parents, as well as for children's enjoyment of being their kids. <laughs> they should have some idea of what's going on. I mean, an obvious example is what people will call discipline, even when they're talking about a one-year-old. Now, we know now from the last decade's work on infant brain development that there is no way you can teach an under one how to behave. His brain or her brain doesn't encompass that kind of thinking. You're too soon, mate. It can't be done. And all you do is create misery. So, if I'm going in a book to say, if your baby keeps crawling to the refrigerator and opening the door and you think you're going to lose your mind, it's no good screaming at him, let alone smacking him, distract him. It's the only thing that works. 
Because another thing that we've learned, if you like, part of this whole package is that if you pick such a baby up and take him into the next room or into the garden or whatever, he will have forgotten the refrigerator game (laughs) in 50 seconds. So the whole thing is over. What doesn't help is having expectations of a baby or child that can't be met. Mm. I mean, it can become positively cruel. Yes. Some parents do make quite a... I can only describe it as a mistake when they have a second child of comparing the two. So sometimes the second child is thought to be slower than the first one, and that's kind of a negative. Again, the stuff we've learnt in the last couple of generations tells us a great deal about the developments that are going on and how different children are going to be. So it's no good wishing that your child would get on and crawl. Maybe (laughs) never going to crawl. He may be one of those children who's going to go straight from sitting to standing up and walking. Is that a good thing? It's a real thing. It's true. It happens. And if you understand it, it helps you and the child. Can you tell us a little bit about stress and what has been learned since this book first came out about the effects of stress on little children's development, both before they're born, this surprised me, before they're born in the womb and when they're babies and it's their own stress? Well, the really interesting thing about stress is that we now know that stress in the mother, and I have to say mother because it is the mother because it's all to do with her uterus, stress in the mother can affect the brain development of the fetus from conception onwards. In fact, you know, a stress-free pregnancy is every child's right as well as every mother's right. We ought to do everything we possibly can as partners, as relations, as friends to keep pregnancy stress-free for women because stress is bad for the babies. And people say, well, how can that possibly, you know, how can her stress influence the fetus? And of course, the answer is hormones and hormones passed across the placenta to the developing baby. One of the things that happens with a, if a mother is highly stressed is that the amount of cortisol, which is kind of one of the main stress hormones, that passes the placenta goes up. And a baby who is bathed in cortisol in the womb tends to develop an exaggerated fight-flight reaction and may actually become not just a baby, a child, adolescent, but a whole person who is always one of those who anticipates the worst and overreacts to minor problems. We all know people like that, but we don't (laughs) always realize the basis of it is probably before he or she was ever born. There's also new information in the last, you know, 40 years since this book came out about the development of toddlers and how they understand how people think and feel their sort of emotional education and the way that they grow. Did that change anything in this new edition of this book? Yes, it changes it two ways. Firstly, We're clearer now. That's tremendously important. 
We're also clear that it links with very early development so that a child who has warm, close parenting in the first six months or a year is quicker to reach that understanding of other people's feelings and behavior, quicker to be able to see at two that another two-year-old might feel that way. Mm. If you like, I think probably the secret of getting on well in groups with your siblings, with other kids in daycare, if you can't see that another child feels like you do or doesn't, then you can't be a nice friend. It's no good, the adults saying, use your words. <laughs> you know, your words aren't going to work if the understanding isn't there. I want to talk when we get back about the idea of guilt and figuring out mom's role in all of this. We're talking to Dr. Penelope Leach. Hello, Hellions. You know we listen to a lot of podcasts that aren't our own. And today we want to tell you about a podcast that really speaks to us and will speak to any parent of a child with special education needs. The podcast is called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Otube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. One of my kids has an IEP, and I found this podcast so validating and so helpful. I feel better equipped to advocate for my child's educational needs now. This podcast is helpful for parents in many different situations, whether your child already has an IEP or you're just starting to wonder if they might need extra support in the classroom. Juliana has content for kids of all ages and for kids who are learning English as an additional language as well. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. More and more, you hear about the importance of electrolytes as part of staying hydrated because you need the sodium and the potassium, not just the water. And whether you're looking to hydrate during a workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, seven essential vitamins, and coconut water powder. Crisp and refreshing and without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. They're little packets you can just grab and take with you to mix into your water bottle on the go. My favorite flavor so far, Amy, gotta be the cherry pomegranate. Interesting. My high schooler likes the lemon lime, and she keeps a few handy in her backpack for days that she has practiced after school. These electrolytes have the sodium and the potassium that you need to go with it in the optimal ratio for daily hydration. Visit sportsresearch.com and use code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's sportsresearch, S-P-O-R-T-S-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H, sportsresearch.com, and use code WHATFRESH for 50% off your Hydrate electrolytes order. So one of our big tasks on this podcast is helping moms figure out their role in all of this. Because we're a podcast, we offer some parenting advice and parenting perspectives. One of the things we do try to put in people's way is to let go a little bit of the guilt and this idea that the mother is responsible for everything about how this child turns out and has a tremendous amount of control over those things. How do you see in babies and toddlers areas where 
parents, especially mothers, can maybe find a little more joyfulness in their parenting and a little less guilt, hopefully. Yeah. And of course, the big answer to your how is your partner. I mean, it may be the father, maybe a biological father, maybe a partner of another gender. But from the point of view, the overburdened mother, having somebody else who you trust with your child, I think is crucial. And that's difficult um, because however hellish we may be saying parenting in, <laughs> mothering in particular is we do anything and do do anything to keep our small children safe and doing what we think they ought to do. And that means that we're really fussy about anybody else. And I think one of the mistakes that some women make is by not allowing fathers, let's call them fathers just because it's easier, but we all know it needn't be the actual father, but not letting fathers in at the very beginning. At the birth, yes, but in the months after. And if a woman is quick to jump in and tell her partner to do it differently or not to do it like that or to turn the pram around because the sun is in the baby's eyes, it's not going to get the kind of mutual parenting which actually helps with this guilt stuff. I think one of the things that has changed that's relevant to this is age. You know, when I first wrote the book, the average first child was born on average in a woman's early 20s. Now, it'll be her mid-30s, probably. A lot of life has gone on. She may have, I don't know, run a company or, you know, taught 30 kids in a classroom for years before she has this baby. And she very reasonably expects to be able to do it quite easily. Yes. And she can't. <laughs> because it isn't the same. Nothing is the same. And if there's one message that I've tried to get through in the sort of opening, new opening chapter to this book, it is that nothing will ever be the same. And that, I think, is the thing many parents, mothers and fathers, don't realize. In fact, in their efficiency, their relative efficiency and older age, they feel, you know, give us six weeks and we'll be back to normal. There isn't a normal. There's only a new normal, which is them as parents. And if you're all the time expecting things to go back, you won't have your eye on where they're going forward. And we're often bit of joy here, aren't we? Mm, trying to, you know, yes. Most babies are wanted, thank heavens. And although I've talked to a lot of parents who say they wish they'd never had children, really a surprisingly large percentage, I've never met one who wished they hadn't had their actual children. So, you know, Penelope, the book, so much of your advice is actually given from the point of view of the baby or the young child. And I think it's lovely, but I'm wondering why did you choose to write the book that way? Oh, why did I write it that way? I wrote it that way because the reason I ever wrote it was that I felt that was the point of view 
that was missing. I mean, if you go back to parenting advice, or even of Dr. Spock, it was not from the baby's point of view. It was from the point of view of, let's get her settled into a routine so you can get some sleep and so forth. So it was always my intention to get as close as one can, which is not very close, to getting inside the baby's head and showing parents what was actually going on in there. And I think to some extent, with colleagues, it's kind of worked. People are on the whole, I think, gentler with very small children than they were. Your country hasn't yet banned physical punishment, but I think it's less used than it was and perhaps will go altogether, as it has in 50 countries around the world. So, you know, there's a saying which my family uses, you can't be happier than your least happy child. And I think that's very true. And we have to acknowledge that happy children make happy parents rather than the other way around. Penelope, let's finish by talking about what do you see as not having changed in the, over the last couple of generations. We have both parents working outside the home. They're not seeing their baby till 8.30 at night. They, they have their child in childcare instead of with their mom next door all day. What hasn't changed? I think the main thing that hasn't changed is what we were just talking about, which, dare I use the word, is something called love. You know, most parents, most, not all, sadly, most parents are besotted with a new baby and all set to be besotted with that child as it becomes an older baby. That besotment sometimes changes a bit in toddlerhood because the beauty of toddlers is that they learn to say no and need it and go away. <laughs> And some parents don't like that. I like it very much. I think it's funny in my own children or other people's, but a lot of parents don't. But I think what hasn't changed is really why we have babies at all. We actually want that close human connection. And the fact that it's difficult, more difficult than we expected, is something that this book is trying to help with. Because you want to get back to the core experience, which is that loving and, you know, wanted experience. But there are a tremendous amount of things that kind of get in the way of that when you feel, and you pointed this out earlier, my mom had children late. She had a career and she said, you know, I used to have a room full of people who just did what I said on command. And now I have three little maniacs who literally I can't th get them to stop, get off the kitchen table, whatever it is. And I think that the overall unchanged thing about the book is that what you want to do is get past the problems so that you can get back to some idea of love and connection with kids. Yes, that's exactly I mean, thank you. That's how I would have it if I <laughs> But yes, and why it's difficult is that you start talking about love between parents and children and it all gets a bit soppy. And, but Bowlby and indeed Freud both described that relationship as the strongest love relationship in the world. And it is. And I think it helps if people know that 
it really doesn't matter if you're irritated because, oh, I don't know, your dinner party was interrupted again by this three-year-old who won't stay in his room. It matters at the time, but it doesn't matter in the long run because nobody's going to remember that evening, you know, when he's a big boy and being a big boy is where it's going or a big girl and what kind of person is it going to be. And that's one of the most exciting things in the world. We've been talking to Dr. Penelope Leach. Her book, Your Baby and Child, is just out in a completely redone new format. Dr. Leach, tell us where our listeners can find you on the Internet. Via the book, actually. (laughs) I don't have a website. There's a lot. If you Google Penelope Leach, you find lots of stuff about the books. I don't work on social media, so I'm very grateful to be made welcome on yours. And thank you for having me. Fantastic. And we will put links up to where to find the book. And this is a book that, you know, helped shape our lives and will continue helping shape the lives of children going forward. And we're just really honored to get to talk to you today. So thanks so much for being on. Thank you for having me. Thank you. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks.